From WSCFM and HD1 Columbia, I'm Ward Jollis. And I'm Erin Slowing. This is Localized from WUSC News. With the South Carolina Gamecocks coming off of a huge loss to LSU, fans are wondering what to expect as the team faces off against Texas A&M this weekend. Here to discuss are executive sports producer for SGTV, Tom Santanella, and sports writer Casey Stevenson of Texas A&M. Also, the country has been in free fall as Election Day turned into an election week. What can voters expect as things finally come to a close? And with many outlets already calling the race for Biden, will Trump concede? Here to discuss are WSC political analyst Tyler Fedor and Daily Gamecock assistant news editor Kaylee Coda. All that and more coming up on Localize. The news is first. Live from WSC News, I'm Summer Rogers. The 2020 presidential election has yet to be called, making history as the longest ongoing count for an election with the Associated Press unable to name a winner days later. WUSC's Spencer Buckler reports. It's still too early to say who will be the next president of the United States. Right now, former Vice President Joe Biden has the lead of electoral votes with 264. President Trump has 214. Either candidate needs to reach 270 electoral votes to become president, and it's all coming down to a few swing states. In the spotlight today is Pennsylvania, where Joe Biden now leads by 0.2%, with 98% reporting. Biden also took the lead in Georgia this morning, but the state says that they'll be doing a recount once they have counted all the votes one time. Biden also holds narrow leads in Arizona and Nevada. The president holds a lead in North Carolina. Spencer Buckler, WUSC News, Columbia. Here in South Carolina, incumbent Lindsey Graham defeated Jamie Harrison Tuesday night. Harrison gained national attention, raising $57 million in the final quarter of his campaign, the largest single quarter total by any candidate in U.S. Senate history. Senator Graham will return for his fourth term as he received 54.6% of the total votes over Harrison's 44.1%. Here on campus, coronavirus cases continue to decrease. On Halloween night, President Kasson made his way around town to check on students' willingness to follow safety precautions, which appear to be working. Finn Carlin has more on how USC is mitigating the virus. Active coronavirus cases on campus have continued to gradually decrease since October 28th, bringing the total number from 58 to 47 as of November 2nd. With a total of 44 students and three employees actively positive for COVID-19, the campus alert level remains at new normal. Upwards of 96% of quarantine space on campus is not in use, and the percent positive rate has not exceeded 1% overall at USC. USC Student Health Services continues to offer safe saliva testing on Davis Field for students Monday through Friday from around 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., and hours for nasal swab testing are expanded from this, being held from around 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. The university continues to offer incentives for students to encourage frequent testing, such as free t-shirts and more. Finn Carlin, WSC News, Columbia. In sports news, the Gamecocks are coming off a bye week and hopefully can pull out a win against Texas A&M this weekend. Spencer Buckler has more. The Gamecocks will take on number 7 Texas A&M tomorrow at Williams-Brice Stadium. The Aggies are currently 4-1 and are coming off a win last week against Arkansas. 
The Gamecocks are 2-3 and three for the season. They had a bye week last weekend, but they'll have to prove themselves after a big loss to LSU two weeks ago. Tomorrow's game is set for a 7 p.m. kickoff. If you don't have a ticket, you can watch on ESPN. Spencer Buckler, WUSC News, Columbia. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 66 points today. The Nasdaq rose 4 points and the S&P 500 dropped 1 point. It's currently 72 degrees outside and sunny with a low of 61 tonight. Tomorrow will be sunny as well with a high of 79 degrees and a low of 61. I'm Summer Rogers and you're listening to WUSC News. It's 607. Sexual assault violence intervention and prevention, or SAVIP, is an office on USC's campus which provides services for survivors of interpersonal violence and or sexual assault. These services include counseling referrals, housing referrals, crisis intervention, safety planning, hospital accompaniment, just to name a few. SAVIP also provides trainings and presentations surrounding healthy relationships, bystander accountability, uh, cycle of violence, consent, sexual assault, stalking and harassment, hate crimes, and there are other plethora of trainings and presentations that we provide. If you are interested in getting involved with SAVIP or interested in any of the presentations or trainings or interested in any of the services, you can contact us at 803-777-8248 or you can come by our office, which is on the first floor of Thompson Student Health Center, 1409 Divine Street. What if your brother or your husband or your daughter what if your son came back from the service with a spinal cord injury? A quadriplegic. A paraplegic. In a wheelchair. When they volunteer to serve, we expect our country to be there for them if they are injured. For more than 60 years, Paralyzed Veterans of America has been fighting to ensure that we receive all of the benefits that we've earned. Benefits to help with medical care, rehabilitation and training. And our dedicated professionals know how to navigate the system so our injured veterans can concentrate on getting well. Thank you, Paralyzed Veterans, for helping our daughter. My husband. My son. Thank you, Paralyzed Veterans of America, for helping my brother. To learn how you can help our injured veterans, visit Paralyzed Veterans of America at pva.org. A public service of Paralyzed Veterans of America. Mama could plow a field with one hand chop a log just as well as a man when it came to increasing disease resistance that woman could lactate like nobody's business mama's nurse and help raise a healthy family there's nothing she wouldn't do she helped us kids get through with less risk for ear infections and respiratory illnesses when I think of Mama, brings a tear to my eye. She gave from her heart or somewheres nearby. Call 800-994-WOMAN or visit 4woman.gov to learn more. Or talk to your health care provider. See, babies were born to be breastfed exclusively for six months. This public service message brought to y'all by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and this station. Y'all breastfeed now, you hear? You're listening to Localize from WSC News. I'm Erin Slowey.
This weekend, the South Carolina Gamecocks face against Texas A&M after a 52-24 loss two weeks ago against the Tigers at LSU. Texas A&M is on a winning streak after victories against Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Florida in their past three games. And they haven't lost to the Gamecocks since 2014. SUTV sports producer Tom Santanello and sports writer from the Texas A&M, Casey Stavenhagen, are here to talk about what fans can expect this week. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm good, Aaron. How are you? I'm great. And Casey, thank you also for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we'll start with Tom. So South Carolina, like I said, is coming off of a 52-24 loss to LSU and a bye week. What can we expect from the Gamecocks in Saturday's game? I think it's fair to expect the Gamecocks are going to look a lot better this weekend than they did two weekends ago in Baton Rouge. Uh, Maybe that's a little bit of a hangover from the big win over Auburn, but even for a team like South Carolina where their MO is kind of to fall flat in big games, that was a little uncharacteristic. Will Muschamp usually as the boys ready to go after a bye week. You saw that last year when they played Georgia on the road. Obviously another big top 10 showdown, SEC, kind of the midpoint in the season. This is a make or break game, I think, for South Carolina. So quarterback Colin Hill was sacked five times and threw one interception in the LSU game, totaling this season sacks to 16. In a press conference on Tuesday, head coach Will Muschamp said that Hill will, will still be starting this weekend. Why do you think Colin Hill is starting? I think the first thing you got to look at is Colin Hill came over from Colorado State with new offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. So he's obviously very familiar with the offensive system that the team is running. And not for nothing, if you look at some of the games, I don't think Colin Hill is where the finger should be pointed. He keeps the offense on schedule more often than not. You know, he holds on to the ball a little bit too long. It'd be nice to see him get out of the pocket and make some plays with his feet, but he's just not that type of quarterback. And really, with the exception of Doty, I don't think anyone on the roster is. So it's just a matter of, I think, the offense trusts Colin Hill to be able to run Mike Bobo's scheme. And then some of the issues that it had, like the team has a lot of drops. The line isn't always blocking as well as they should be. So I don't think all of the blame should be pointed at Colin Hill. Obviously, he's the quarterback, so that's just a natural thing. Your leader, you get all the blame. But I think Colin Hill, I think Game Puck fans should be confident with Colin Hill going forward. Okay. So speaking of quarterbacks, we will switch to Casey. South Carolina has never defeated Texas A&M since playing them every year since 2014. Half of those have been against Texas A&M's quarterback, Kellen Mond. How do you think Mond will do against the Gamecocks' defense this year? Well, uh, I think Kellen Mond, you know, he's had some inconsistency in the past. Um, but this year, with the way our offensive line is performing, um, we've allowed the uh, – we're tied for second with LSU, led only by Georgia – um, with how many sacks we're producing, and um, we've allowed the least sacks in the country um, for teams with four or more games. Uh, we've only allowed two. So um, that's freed up a lot of room for Kellen Mond to really not have to force any passes. Um, we have the highest third down conversion percentage in the country, um, which we're, we're getting to run the ball a lot more because of that. And um, so Mont's thrown 26 picks in his career, but this season he's only thrown two. And I think he's, he's going to be a lot safer with the ball. Um, trust his running backs, Isaiah Spiller and Anaya Smith, who are both performing excellent. Um, you know, just find the open man and, and not force any plays. And I think we'll see some good play from Kellen Mond. Mm-hmm. So Carson Green, a senior offensive lineman of the Aggies, was won the SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week this past week. Who are some of the standout players the Gamecocks should watch out for this weekend? You know, we've we've really got a lot of guys that are just uh, stepping up this year. Isaiah Spiller, he has 512 rushing yards, five touchdowns. 
um, Anaya Smith has, has been incredible. He's leading the team in receiving, um, and he's a running back. He has 290 receiving yards, four receiving touchdowns, while also having nearly 200 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Um, we've gotten a, a stud tight end in uh, Jalen Weidermeyer, who has nearly 300 yards um, and some touchdowns. And um, I think I think one big thing to look for this week will be uh, the return of Hezekiah Jones, who played his first game after uh, an injury um, last week. He had 47 yards on five catches, and I think his production is going to really ramp up this week, and that's something big to watch for. Mm-hmm. So we'll go back to Tom. The Aggies are ranked number seven. Do you think rankings will have an impact on how the Gamecocks prepare going into this week compared to playing some unranked teams? You know, uh, the old saying is it doesn't really matter who you're, you're playing. It just You put the pads on, you chop them up, and you go play football. I don't think preparation is going to look any difference, but I do think that the fact that they're playing a top-ten opponent is going to impact how the Gamecocks perform this weekend. Their M.O., during Will Muschamp's tenure has always been they've played to the level of their competition, which is probably one of the more frustrating things for Gamecock fans. So the better they team they're playing, the better they play, the worse team they're playing, the worse they play. Yeah, I saw that a couple weeks ago when they got off that sluggish start against Vanderbilt. But So I don't think anything changes the preparation. Maybe the bye week changes how the practices look the past two weeks, but I don't think that anything on the in practice looks different for the Gamecocks. Mm-hmm. So, Casey, this game is obviously on the road for AM. How has the Aggies been performing at away games? And do you think the atmosphere at Williams-Brice, even with including COVID, will have an impact on the, their performance on Saturday night? Well, um, so we had a loss on the road against Alabama, um, you know, and that was rough for us. But really, you know, we're, we're a solid road team. Um, Jimbo Fisher has everyone prepared. The guys... Uh, you know, they're really able to just focus when they need to, you know. Uh, and, you know, in the past, Williams-Brice has, you know, it just hasn't been an issue for AM. Um, we haven't lost to South Carolina yet, um, away or at home. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so the last question that I have for you guys, we will start with Casey. What are your score predictions for this game on Saturday and why? Okay, um, I'm going to say 42 to 28, A&M. And why, why do you say that big of a difference, and why A&M winning? Um, I, I say that big of a difference because I, I really think we're going to stifle their offense more than anything. I think uh, we're going to control the clock as well with, with our rushing game. Um, but with the sacks that we've been producing and then um, the sacks that South Carolina have been allowing, um, they're really on polar opposites. And, uh, you know, we have 10 sacks alone from our defensive line. We have four from senior Michael Clemens. And, and I think we're going to get to Colin Hill. Um, and hopefully if we can continue what we've been doing for our rush defense, which uh, we've only allowed um, 100-some yards per game, um, you know, we'll shut down uh, Kevin Harris as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that'll really be the difference. Yes. So, Tom, do you think the Gamecocks are going to also lose this weekend? I do. Before the season started, this was a game that I circled on the calendar that I thought USC was in a good spot to maybe pull off an upset. But I think that they got their one big upset of the season when they beat Auburn a few weeks ago. So I do think that AM wins this one rather comfortably. I'm going to go 38-24. I think that, you know, it's a night game. Williams-Price, 
teams are gonna come out amped up. I think South Carolina is gonna be able to hang with the Aggies for a little while, but I think eventually it's gonna be too much offense. I think Hill is gonna, he's usually good for one interception a game and it's gonna come at a bad time. And I think that's just gonna be too much Texas A&M offense, not enough South Carolina offense, mm -hmm. just a recipe for a South Carolina loss this weekend. Yeah, well, that's all the time that we have. Thank you, Tom, for joining me. And thank you so much, Casey. Up next, we will hear an update about the election and the impact of the key states. We'll be right back. Hey ladies, it's Cinderella, taking a quick break from my happily ever after to share a few words with you. Many fairy tales you watched growing up probably gave you some irrational expectations about life. The consistently perfect hair, sorry, I guess I'm just lucky. The What's handsome up, dragon flying Game prince, Cox. the castle, the handy fairy godmother, the flying magic We're all carpet. Stoked to be back Sometimes on it just isn't realistic. Fairy tales also gave us some irrational expectations about relationships. Not all relationships have a happy ending. Unfortunately, one in six women are victims of some form of sexual violence in their lifetime. It's time we lower these stats. The Student Health Services Sexual Assault and Violence Intervention and Prevention Department at USC believes it is important that bystanders look out for potentially violent relationships and step in or get help if they think there is a serious situation at hand. Everyone deserves a fairy tale. So visit www.sa.sc.edu forward slash SHS slash SAVIP to stand up, Carolina. Presenting comments you won't ever hear at your house. Hey, Dad, you need a hand with that yard work? You know, honey, the heck with the playoffs on TV. Let's go shoe shopping. Never mind our anniversary, dear. Go out with your friends and have a good time tonight. Almost as rare, it's unlikely you'll ever hear someone say, you know, it's time for an eye exam. That's because many vision problems have no early warning signs. In, in fact, fact, one in three Americans over 40 has a vision problem, and they might not even know it. An eye exam can spot vision-threatening conditions like glaucoma before you can, and even spot serious health problems like diabetes and high blood pressure. So if you're over 40, remember, an eye doctor can see things you can. For more on vision health, visit checkyearly.com. That's checkyearly.com, a public service message from the Vision Council of America and AARP. French fries again? Pass the asparagus, please. You're listening to Localize from WSC News. I'm Ward Jollis. All eyes are on Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Nevada right now as the final votes of the 2020 election are tallied. This after election night turned into, as expected, an election week, with states scrambling to ensure all votes were counted after a rise in the use of mail-in ballots due to the pandemic. Former Vice President Joe Biden is currently six electoral votes away from the presidency, with victory in any of the remaining states guaranteeing him the win. Biden is currently ahead in Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Nevada, all of which are expected to announce their final results soon. But of course, we're still waiting, and it's Friday. So here to discuss all of that with me is WUSC political analyst and news editor at The Daily Gamecock, Tyler Fedor. Tyler, thank you for joining me today. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me on board. And also Daily Gamecock assistant news editor and WUSC contributor, Kaylee Coda. Kaylee, thanks for joining me on the program. 
Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right, so Tyler, I'm going to move to you first. So first of all, a lot is happening right now in a few key states. Break it all down for us, though. I mean, what is going on and when will we know who the next president is officially? Oh, man, I think I can give you a lot of answers for when the next president will be uh, figured out. Right now, the latest we could expect is maybe November 12th, because North Carolina has that rule where they can expect mail-in ballots that were postmarked before or on November 3rd. So they can keep counting up until then if they have the votes for that. So that's probably the latest we can expect. But officially, I don't think I could ever give any sort of answer or good anyone. I mean, we still have a lot of razor-thin races in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and in Arizona, Nevada, I believe, as you said. And it's it's just all up in the air, I think. It's too close to count for a lot of places, and I don't think anyone could give you a concrete answer as to when we will know the president, next president. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's Friday now. Um, on Tuesday night, I know a lot of people were saying, hey, it, it looks like we'll have all these votes counted tomorrow. And then on Thursday, they were like, okay, we'll have all these votes counted tomorrow. And then here we are on Friday night and still no result. I mean, what is taking so long in these swing states, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of these states do have some different uh, policies on how they handle their mail-in ballots. So, for example, Pennsylvania, they weren't allowed to start counting their mail-in ballots by on election day, basically. While others, like, other states did have, and other states did have that advantage. But with Pennsylvania, especially with record turnout, increase in use of mail-in ballots, obviously it's going to take a much longer time. I mean, I think we've seen the headline where just early voting has broken records from the 2016 elections. So we all got a lot of waiting to do, I think, until we get there. And I mean, North Carolina and their postmark policy, of course, we'll have to wait on that. And another thing to keep in mind as well is Georgia's Secretary of State has said that it might come down to a recount, and that could take God knows how long. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kaylee, I'm going to move to you now briefly. Uh, The Trump campaign has been pretty quiet since declaring victory on Wednesday morning. But there has been a lot of tweeting from the president um, about specifically mail-in ballots. So, you know, he's been saying stop the count, claiming these mail-in ballots are that are coming in are somehow fraudulent. Um, And he's also filed a number of lawsuits in these states that look like the outcomes were probably because of these mail-in ballots favoring Joe Biden. I mean, what do you think about all of this? Is there any truth to any of this fraudulent mail-in ballots that the president's talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that we have to keep in mind is that I think the president is going to be tweeting no matter what's going on. And uh, leading up to the election, he talked a lot about how he didn't think that mail-in ballots were going to be um, sort of okay. So he told his can't his people not to vote for him through a mail-in ballot. So I think that might explain part of the uh, very high um, Joe Biden ballots. But it is a little bit weird just to see sudden jumps for one um, candidate or the other. We just have to keep in mind that this year does have record turnout and mail-in ballots. Of course, um, the use of them has been so increased due to the coronavirus. We just got to keep waiting and count all of those ballots so we can have the accurate numbers. Yeah. I mean, clearly things are looking pretty optimistic for Joe Biden right now, Kaylee. Um, And a lot of people are saying it's because of those mail-in ballots. Um, He did really energize his base on being safe during the pandemic and voting safely. That's why a lot of those ballots are going for Joe Biden right now. And I think a lot of people also see the whole thing about Donald Trump um, and him telling his base to, hey, go out on Election Day and vote that way. Um, 
But, you know, as good of a race this was with mail-in ballots and whatnot for the Democrats um, and Joe Biden, uh, the Democrats lost a number of seats in the House. This wasn't a really great, great race for them uh, in the House of Representatives. And it's really not looking that great for the Senate either. You know, and what looked like an easy effort for control of the Senate is looking harder and harder as time moves on. So why do you think Democrats lost so much ground, you know, compared to the energy that they had going into the 2018 midterms? Yeah, so I think there sort of has been a history of um, the first election after the general election, so say 2018, that the party who's not in in the White House does sort of have a resurgence and does gain a lot of ground there, just because people seem to be unhappy with the president. So I think that in part may explain why the Democrats did do so well in 2018. Um, and I'm, I think also having Joe Biden as the Democratic candidate may have explained why people were a little bit less excited to vote. He sort of represents the establishment, but I've heard from a lot of um, younger people and just students that Joe Biden wasn't exactly the person they were polling for to um, be running up against Donald Trump. So maybe those factors both are a little bit can help explain why the Democrats did not do as well as they has had sort of hoped to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to move now to Georgia, because I think of any state in this year's election, this one by far brought the most surprises. Tyler, I'm going to move to you. Georgia hasn't gone blue since 1992, when Bill Clinton was first running for office. And now it's looking like it might be really close. Um, Biden might even come out on top here. He's ahead by couple thousand votes right now. What's happening in Georgia, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, it is history in Georgia right now. It has been a long time since Georgia has gone blue presidentially. And one thing that is happening right now, actually, is as Georgia's starting to kind of finish out their voter count, finish out those ballots or at-home mail-in ballots, military, overseas, and provisional ballots are starting to come through that counting process. So there are a lot more possible Donald or uh, Biden votes that could come in to really influence that. And another thing to also realize is Fulton County is still expecting some counts. They're still having ballots come in. Yeah. They're still counting. And they are the most populous county in Georgia. They include Atlanta as well, which most cities as well as Atlanta have seemed to swung traditionally blue. So there could be a safe prediction to say that some of those votes could go to Biden. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's also there's also these two Senate races that I want to talk about, which funny enough could also determine who controls the Senate. Uh, John Ossoff and David Perdue are heading to a runoff in January, and Raphael Warnock and Kelly Loeffler will be heading to a runoff. Uh, Any insight into how these races might go coming off of this immensely consequential general election, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, we got to look at the uh, history of these guys. So Ossoff did lose in the 2017 Senate race against Republican Karen Handel, who does have that incumbent advantage, which is notorious in almost any sort of public office race. And right now, I believe he's losing about uh, three points. So it's not too big of a lead, but for the state, that's around 10,000 votes. That's a difference there. And as, as you did say, it is going to a runoff. Yeah. And so yeah. we will have to keep an eye on that. But even Purdue, he is the incumbent. He's got that advantage. And he has been in office for the Senate since 2015. So he does have a lot of time, a lot of experience, a lot of name power, I believe, that the Georgia public can really kind of uh, accept and maybe just recognize pretty much. Yeah. Now, Kaylee, I'm, I'm going to go to you now. I, I think, again, 
I think Democrats were really going into this election thinking that this was going to be a blowout. Uh, a lot of polls had Biden up nearly 10 points nationally. Um, and I, th- I just think a lot of Democrats are disappointed right now because they were really going into this election thinking there was going to be some kind of retribution for all that Donald Trump has done during his presidency. And let's be real, that did not happen. Uh, a lot of this was because of polling continuously showed significant leads in key swing states for Biden. I mean, what do you think this says about polling right now after the polling error, not only this year, but also in 2016? I mean, are are polls, what's going on with the polls? Should we trust them? Right. Yeah. So, of course, polling is always a good way to sort of get a feel for who we think might um, be winning an election. But it is sort of theoretical. And if some of these polls, organizations do them in different ways. And if some of them didn't, say, have like a large enough sample size, um, weren't representative of everyone who did go vote, you know, in those statistical ways, if they weren't representative, then, of course, they're going to come out a little bit skewed. But they did really think Biden was going to be up in October. Vox reported that Biden was up nationally in all of the swing states that we've talked about tonight. However, also in 2016, they projected Hillary Clinton winning uh, with an 85% chance. Um, So it's just we have to sort of keep it in mind that it is not exactly what's going to happen. It's a good guess. um, But really, the only thing we can do in trying to figure out who the president is, is to actually count the votes that were cast on Election Day and before through mail-in voting. Yeah, yeah. And Tyler, I'm just going to end off on you. Um, My final question, you know, I think there's clearly a deep divide in America right now. Uh, Both sides of the aisle think that the other is living into some kind of alternate reality. Um, And this election was perhaps the most consequential of any election in any voter's lifetime. Uh, But at the end of the day, or week or month maybe, you know, who knows when we'll get this in, um, there's going to be a winner selected. And how do you think that whoever the loser is should reconcile that loss with their base right now? I think you're you're just going to have to go out with grace. Either way, what's going to happen is People are going to be upset, obviously, because you lose. People don't like to lose. But no matter what, is that loser will have to go out with grace because, I mean, this past year, this election, just this week, has stirred up so many emotions or fears or whatnot. And having to have to cap that off with someone who maybe isn't going to stand down from their maybe position or from the fact that they lost, the result of the democracy that is the United States of America, I think that could cause so much damage if it is just ignored, if the results of this election are just ignored. So I think at the end of the day, whatever the process gives us is what we're going to have to work with, whether Biden wins or whether Trump wins. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's I really like what you said about that, that, you know, lose with grace there. Uh, And I think that's one thing that we're really going to have to pay attention to. There's a lot of discussion up in the air about how one side is going to handle this. Uh, Tyler. Fedor, Daily Gamecock assistant news editor Kaylee Coda. Both of you, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having us on board. 
And that'll do it for this episode of Localize. Make sure to join us every Friday at 6 p.m. for a local take on this week's biggest stories. Localize is a production by WSC News and is produced by Mary Brian Charles and Ward Jollis. The outreach coordinator for Localize is Rita Naidu, and the music for the show is called Freedom by Atch. If you like what you hear and you want to listen to other news shows and WSC News podcasts, you can find all those at garnetmediagroup.org. Well, Brady Fitzgerald will have the sports up next, and I'm Ward Jollis. And I'm Erin Slowey. We'll see you next week.